Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. Welcome to the Coffee Clash. This is Marianne Russo. I am so excited about tonight's interview because this is for parents, this is for children, and I think this is going to give out so much information that you have probably never heard before. Our guest is Dr. Michael Gelb. The Gelb Center in New York for TMJ Sleep Apnea um, is known worldwide for pioneering integrative treatments, and Dr. Gelb is an innovator in airway breathing, sleep and painful TMJ disorders, uh, pioneering airway-centric. He has studied early intervention for sleep-disordered breathing, specializing in how it relates to fatigue, believe it or not, focus, pain, and the effects of all of these really have on the family. And he has pioneered a new paradigm in preventative public health care, which is you're just going to love when you hear what he's done and what he's found. And he has been awarded the diplomat of the American Board of Orofacial Pain. So I am just thrilled to introduce Dr. Michael Gelb. How are you? Good, Marion. It's nice to be here with you tonight. Well, we're going to discuss a lot of things. We're going to be discussing headaches, um, TMJ, sleep apnea, and something that may be completely unrelated in most people's mind, which is ADHD. So um, why don't we start off talking about headaches? Um, you know, okay. not all headaches are the same. Um, so if you could, if you could just tell us about a few of the different types of headaches and how they affect um, adults and children similarly or differently. Sure. So the the most common headache is called tension-type headache. And uh, it's usually a dull, aching headache. It could feel like your head's being squeezed in a vice. And that's people complain of a, of a band-like headache. Uh, tension-type headache is often associated with tight muscles and, again, can be felt as kind of a dull, achy pain. The, the headache that receives all the attention, so that's 90% of headaches. The, the headache that receives all the attention is the migraine headache. And that's the, I've had three or four in my life. That's the one that's debilitating. You've got to go to a dark room. You've got sensitivity to sound, sensitivity to light. You might have nausea or vomiting associated with the headache. And that's a throbbing pain, you just don't know what to do with yourself. And it's often alleviated by certain types of medications that are abortive medications, but migraine is probably about 8% of all headaches. Then you get to cluster. Yeah, so it's not as common as you think, but because it's so debilitating, it's where a lot of research is done, and that's the one that you hear about the most. Cluster headache, it's, it's, it's what it sounds like. It's a cluster 
Um, it comes in clusters. It's usually on one side. feels like your eye is going to pop out of the socket. You may have uh, tearing or redness of the eye, uh, excruciating pain, could radiate to other areas of the face, head, neck, and shoulders. Uh, you may also have some, some swelling associated with that. So people complain of a hot poker being stuck in their eye or their eyes being pushed out of its socket. If you have that, that would be a cluster-type headache. Those are the main three types of headaches. And children can get these as well as adults. Is that, is that true? Children can get migraine headaches. You know, what we didn't talk about is a mixed headache, and I, I feel that uh, many headaches are mixed tension headaches and migraine headaches. And what I find is that if you can stop the tension headache from progressing, you usually can get rid of the migraine headaches. And headaches have, have triggers, and so in children, um, you do see tension headaches in children. So children clench their teeth. That starts almost at once they get their teeth in. So children can get tension headaches, and children can get migraine headaches. And uh, food can set it off, uh, certain chocolate. Of course, there's no red wine in children, but cheeses and certain mm -hmm. foods can, can, can set the migraine off. And vision, too. I know I just learned this because I've had uh, headaches. I never get headaches, and I've had headaches for two months, and it wound up that I needed to um, up my prescription. Right. Um, so, yeah, glasses and the angle of the glasses, uh, abs absolutely. Head posture. Mm -hmm. You know, there's lots of things that can uh, bring on a headache and perpetuate a headache. So why is there nausea because with um, some of these headaches, the migraine headache? Because that really is so debilitating. Well, they're neurological. You know, they're, it's, an, it's autonomic and neurological phenomenon that cause these headaches, and there's a current that goes across the brain, and these are totally different. So nausea and vomiting, it makes you sick to your stomach because it's a different, it's just a... It's a totally different type of headache um, that's really governed by the brain. And yeah, so our second brain is in our gut. So noisy right. and vomiting, it's like a sick stomach. You feel like you're just sick when you get this migraine headache. And, you know, one of the things that I know happens, um, especially when there's a concussion or a head injury and, and there are headaches, is sometimes you get these rebound headaches if you have overuse of, say, Advil or Tylenol. Oh, yeah. So, yes. Particularly so like how should Fioracet. a person treat it? Oh, yeah. Well, I yeah. think the problem with, with what I see is that most headaches, you're not looking at the other causes of headaches. So the main nerve that's involved in headache, whether it be migraine headache, tension headache, is a nerve called the trigeminal nerve. The yeah. trigeminal nerve is three branches. It's in the face. It's the eye branch the upper jaw and the lower jaw, so we call it trigeminal. And it also innervates the muscles of clenching, the TM joint, the teeth. So there's lots and lots of things that can put this noxious input into the brain, and all of those things are additive. So if you are perchance, and also the neck is involved, cervical one, the first cervical, second, third cervical, all of these inputs come into the brain, and if you have enough things going on, add in a little altitude, add in some dehydration, mm -hmm. put a little alcohol into the mix, 
put some stress into the mix and you're gonna, you've got a headache going on. Put uh, some clenching in there. So what we try to do when we look at these headaches is we try to we look at the general lifestyle of the patient. We look at how much stress they're under. We look at their posture. And you, before you know it, you're working with other practitioners like physical therapists. You're working on posture. You're working with a dentist. You're working... Uh, with a neurologist or an internist perhaps to manage with certain medications that can get the patient to sleep through the night or can change some of the neurotransmitters like serotonin. You and I spoke a little bit about working with hormones, working with uh, estrogen, working with thyroid. And the more, the better balanced our bodies are nutritionally, what you eat is very important. The better balanced we are, the less headaches we get. And so diet is very big part of it. Exercise, very big part of it. And sleep is a very big part of it. No, absolutely. You know, we're going we're gonna to speak in depth about the sleep. And before we move on to the TMJ, I just wanted to um, discuss two treatments that are frequently used right now, um, one of which is Botox. And the yes. other um, is Topamax or other um, anticonvulsants. So what is the premise with Botox? Why would Botox help with chronic headaches? And the same for Topamax. Well, there's a chronic migraine protocol. So it's 31 sites. It's about five units in each site. And I was, I was taught by Allergan at the uh, American Academy of Orofacial Pain meeting. Uh, I was certified in this. And it goes into these areas of basically noxious stimulation. You can feel these areas. These areas are particularly painful. They're tender points. And the Botox basically neutralizes these sites for about three to four months at a time. Uh, we use Botox very often in the jaw-clenching muscles. The masseters, we use it uh, in some of the neck muscles. And it really is a, it's a great tool. It was found serendipitously, you know, they found that women that were getting their eyes done and they're getting Botox for cosmetic reasons reported that they weren't getting headaches anymore. Right. And so Dr. Carruthers and other people, they brought this to the attention of the neurologist and some of the headache doctors, and it's become a, a very good treatment for treating these chronic headaches. Uh, so we use it quite a bit in our practice, and I say if we can alleviate these pains sometimes with lidocaine, we find that Botox will work for three, four, sometimes six months. Mm-hmm. And these are people that have tried everything else, as I think we've, we've discussed. Uh, sometimes Botox works where nothing else has worked uh, to that point. And as far as the Topamax goes, you know, again, the nerve has been uh, inflamed. The nerve is irritated. Any of these what they call nerve stabilizers, membrane stabilizers, anything mood stabilizer, anticonvulsant, anything that tones the nerve down, calms the nerve down, like Depakote, Topamax, these are all very effective. And now you've heard for fibromyalgia, you hear about Lyrica, right? You, hear, you see mm-hmm. the, the ads on TV, Lyrica, Trileptal, all these anticonvulsants, Neurontin, are found to have um, very good effects for migraine, but they also work for tension-type headache. Um, They work for a variety of things. They help with things like clenching. So 
just because a migraine headache uh, medication works, again, doesn't mean that it's a migraine headache. Uh, some of these migraine medications work on tension headaches, and, uh, you know, you can do it. I typically see the patients when the, the medications don't work. Right. So, right. you know, where there's breakthrough pain. And, and you did mention overuse of analgesics. Uh, very often a lot of medications won't work if someone's been taking too much Fioraset or they've been taking uh, other medications. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these medications can prevent other medications from working. Right. It, so it really becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah. It can. Yeah. It can. Right. Um, you know, and it, it's good. I mean, I know a lot of people have had a lot of success with the Botox. Um, my daughter had none, um, but she did have success with the medications. But, um, you know, I also have heard of people, and we're considering this for my daughter, who instead of getting the Botox um, in the injection sites on the head or getting the Botox in a trigger point, um, you know, in the shoulder, between the neck and the shoulder, and it's well, stopping the migraines. Absolutely. So that, that leads me into what we do. We work a lot with certain types of bite plates, appliances, Mm-hmm. that take the pressure off of the trigeminal nerve and help relax some of the muscles in the jaw and the neck. So by working with oral appliances, by working with physical therapists, certain types of chiropractors, certain osteopaths, uh, cranial sacral, doing trigger point injections, if we can just lower the input, calm the system down, take the pressure off of these nerves, relax the muscles, most people get better. Most people get better with both tension headaches and migraine. You need someone who's eclectic that's looking at all the different possibilities of why someone can get this problem that just doesn't come at it purely from a medication point of view. Exactly. Uh, The more well-rounded you are and the more different aspects of the problem that you look at, probably the better that your patients are going to do. And we like the word interdisciplinary, working Mm -hmm. with different types of specialties, not just looking at your own specialty. I love it. I just love it. And, you know, when you spoke about uh, oral appliances, um, um, I I just wanted to say that, you know, not everybody can make an oral appliance. I mean, you know, you may have a wonderful dentist, um, as we did, who made an appliance and it did nothing. And then when we went to a specialist, instead of an upper appliance, they did a lower appliance and it made a world of difference. So it's so so important to go to a person that specializes in TMJ, which is what I want to go into now. Can you just briefly let everyone know what TMJ is? Because the people that have it, they are suffering. And, sure. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. So TMJ refers to the temporomandibular joint. So the temple, the temple bone, it's on the side of your head, comes together with the lower jaw. The lower jaw bone, the, the, the jaw that I'm using now to speak, that's called the mandible. So where the mandible, the lower jaw, comes together with the temple bone, or the head, the cranium, it's called the temporomandibular joint. And that's the joint that we use every time we eat. We use it when we are speaking, when we, uh, uh, pretty much anything we do where we move or when we yawn, anything we do uh, with our jaw, kiss, we're, we're using the temporomandibular joint. And there's a number of disorders that come from the joint and the muscles, and we call those temporomandibular disorders. And it's a the, the reason why it's probably so involved is that the trigeminal nerve, the nerve that involves the joint, is I think about 37%. It's the largest cranial nerve in the body. 
And so it covers so much uh, of the sensation in the body is in the face and it revolves from the, uh, or, or comes from the trigeminal nerve. And so that's the nerve that gets involved in so many of these tight muscles and so many of these joint problems. And that then leads back to headaches and contributes to chronic neck pain. So it's a very important joint. And, you know, I wanted to go into some of the causes because I, as I was doing my preparation for this interview, I was very surprised um, at a few things that I read. So, I mean, most people think that it's just teeth grinding um, that causes TMJ, but there are a lot of other reasons. And some of them that you list was um, perimenopausal, women that are perimenopausal. Um, very important. And you, yeah, that, that I didn't know about. You talk about posture. Um, you also talk about estrogen in teen girls. So those are just a few, but if you can just tell the yeah, listeners so let's start with some kids. of the causes. Sure. So before puberty, probably boys and girls get about the same amount of headaches and jaw pain, and not very common. Once women, young girls go through menopause, they get the surge in estrogen and their jaws become sensitized. So the bulk of our patients are women. So 80% of our patients are women. And it's after puberty and up and including perimenopause into menopause. So our big clusters would be high school and college women and then women that are 49, 50, 51, maybe starting in the mid-40s and going up to 60. Those are our biggest groups. And then all in between having babies, and not sleeping well. So estrogen is a huge, a huge component in why we believe that women, mostly women, get TMJ-type disorders. Now, how come so we didn't know point. about that? Well, the research <laughs> was, why didn't we know about it? Know well, that. No, you, know you knew why? that, but I mean, we as women, I mean, I've never heard of that. You know why? Because it just, it, it hasn't been out there that long. The work was originally done in baboons, and then it was replicated in humans, and it's kind of a recent finding within the last probably 10 to 15 years, and it's just not a very well known fact, um, but it's a hugely important fact. And, you know, the problem is to try to regulate estrogen, as you know, is a very uh, confusing area and uh, not so easily done. Right. So, you know, it's not that easy, but we take that into account. So even though the women are going through, have just gone through the girls' puberty and the women perimenopause, we're still able to treat TMJ problems. Without always, without always working with um, uh, differing estrogen levels. Mm-hmm. And posture, so, you say, plays a role in TMJ. I think a huge role. You know, young girls, they're growing up. They have very often rounded shoulders, forward heads. They're afraid to, you know, stand up tall and stick their stick their chest out and, you know, they're afraid to walk around like uh, a ballet dancer and actress. So I do a lot mm-hmm. with the Alexander technique. Uh, and oh, I okay. see women's, yeah. you know, posture, we're now talking about the core. So Pilates, gyrotonics, um, anything that builds up the core really right. helps with both TMJ and headaches because it takes the pressure off the neck and the shoulder. So we we always work with, with our men and our women to try to get the heads back over the spine and to have good posture. And that involves while you're at the computer, 
while you're studying if you're a student. Um, a lot of us now in our jobs are on the computers four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day under stress. And so ergonomics, working with physical therapists, working with Alexander, working with Feldenkrais, it's a big part of what we do to improve uh, the patient's posture. Right. And, um, you know, whoever doesn't know what the um, Alexander technique is, if you have TMJ, just Google it um, because it, it's just too involved to go into in this interview. Right. But it, it's important information. Um, there, you also talk about um, autoimmune um, Big issue. Disorders um, being Big part time. of it. So I, I have become so educated in the past 24 hours. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Um, I had no idea that um, the autoimmune was related to TMJ. Well, you know, don't forget, the TMJ is a joint, like any right. other synovial joint in the body. So if someone mm, has... You know, you'd be surprised. Juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, then you've got psoriatic. A lot of people have psoriasis. They have no idea they have psoriatic arthritis. They've got aches and pains all over the body. People have uh, lupus. And a lot of people have what we call undifferentiated connective tissue disease. You know, their ANA, all these blood tests come up slightly positive. And, and don't forget, our, our immune system is not what it was years ago. There's so many environmental mm-hmm. pollutants, right, out there today right. that our, our, our autoimmune system is turned on. Uh, we're fighting a lot of things we didn't fight before. So we treat something called seronegative arthritis, which is a inflammatory arthritis. A lot of people have inflammation, plantar fasciitis, lateral epicondylitis, my friend Gary Solomon is the one who educated me on this. A lot of us have our tenderness attachments are sore throughout our body. And so if you, if you pay attention that this is not only a disorder that's affecting the TM joint, but also different parts of the body, different tenderness attachments, different muscles, different joints, you realize that it's part of a larger uh, syndrome. It's a polyarthritis, or it's a something that's more systemic and not just sometimes a local problem. And these aren't always those that that test um, very no. high for autoimmune. So you're talking like my daughter has fibromyalgia. Then this is subtle. Um, this is sometimes a very subtle issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's probably you know we're going to talk about sleep next, but it you mm-hmm. know when your sleep goes off. You get all these inflammatory mediators, all these inflammatory cytokines are released into the body, and so everything is related, I, I, I feel, to everything else. And you've just got to start, start one step at a time, good anti-inflammatory diet, trying to get good sleep, trying to take mm-hmm. pressure off of joints. And, you know, you, like, like you were saying, you've got to be your own best detective. You've got to be your own best advocate because a lot of times – the professionals really haven't put all the pieces together. Uh, and everybody's it's not always so easy to do. Yeah. Everyone's yeah. so different. You know, but like you said, yeah, it's subtle. Some of this is very subtle. And, you know, it's almost now as we go into the sleep disorders and sleep apnea, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, so, you know, what came first, the lack of sleep and then the, um, the pains and the syndromes, or was the syndrome you know keeping the sleep? So that's, that's a you know, great you know what? That's a great. That's a great question. I think. Look, in today's society, everyone's charged up. Everyone's on an iPhone, an iPad. Mm-hmm. We're all in touch all the time. We have light bulbs. You know, we've got screens. We're staying up a lot later than we used to. 
and so most of us don't get enough sleep. So sleep deprivation is, is a big part of it. What I talk okay. about, though, yeah. No, no go, go ahead. What I talk about, though, is that our faces are changing. If you look at our diet over the last 200 years, eating soft foods, you look at the sugar content of the diet, you look at DDT, you look at Rachel, Rachel Carson, you'll note that our faces are becoming flatter. Our teeth are becoming more crooked. Our palates are, are narrow. We have high, narrow palates. And so basically, we can't breathe anymore. Everyone's got sinus issues. Our sinuses, as right. our brains got bigger, our sinuses got smaller. As our brains, as we started to walk on two feet, the human being, our, my ability now to, to speak and articulate has left me vulnerable for my airway to close off at night. So not only are we getting less sleep, but the quality of our sleep, because we can't breathe at night, the quality of our sleep is really not very good at all. So, you know, this is what I call epigenetics. Because of these environmental factors, our faces have really, our airways have gotten smaller over the last, particularly the last 200 years. And that's why it has really greatly contributed to, you know, obesity rates and chronic disease. So that's, that's how I look at the sleep issue. And, um, we just have to start looking at this even at birth. A lot of kids are born with high, narrow palates. 25 to 27% of the kids are mouth breathers. You know, we've, we're tongue-tied. And this is something that we want to try to intervene early, at least by three and a half or four, so we can mainstream our kids by the time they get into kindergarten. So we're looking at sleep as being an essential component of brain development, an essential component of growth and development, but we want to tell people out there, you can intervene at any age. I can intervene at 70. I don't have to intervene at 3 or 4. I can intervene at 12. I can mm -hmm. intervene like I have with young girls that are getting C's and D's at age 20. And I intervene all the time in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. So, you know, it's never too late to intervene. Uh, I think that point that, that needs to be made. Right. And um, just very briefly, I want to talk about sleep apnea, because sleep apnea really could, is a, it could be very serious. So, um, and I understand now that there are new treatments um, with the palate, that there isn't major construction like that used to um, have to be done. So just very briefly, what is sleep apnea, and how can somebody identify that in themselves or their child? Sure. So sleep apnea is basically stoppage of breathing. So sleep apnea means if you are... You could be snoring at night, and then you'll go into periods where you are not breathing at all. So if you stop breathing for periods of 10 seconds or longer, that would be classified as an apnea. There are other things like hypopneas, partial obstructions, and there's even something called resisted breathing or upper airway resisted, resistance syndrome. Basically what it is is that you are not breathing, your breathing is partially obstructed, and it leads to arousals or awakenings of the brain. So it's an oxygen issue, and it's also a brain issue because the brain is getting woken up. Every time you have a breathing problem, your brain is waking up. Uh, we say the same thing with clenching, too. It's called sleep fragmentation. So mm -hmm. partly it's the oxygen, partly it's the sleep disruption, and then it's the activation of what we call the sympathetic nervous system because it's, you're literally being choked hundreds and hundreds of times a night. So we see people with anxiety 
We see kids with anxiety. The anxiety goes away. Listen, I want to tell you, I was a bedwetter. I had night terrors. My bedwetting went away and my night terrors went away the moment I had my tonsils and adenoids out. So we have these things called Mm -hmm. parasomnias that are around sleep, but many of them are related to sleep apnea and other breathing-related sleep disorders. Yeah, it's just incredible because, uh, you know, I think so many parents don't even realize this. And, um, you know, we're going to give out the um, links at the end, but, I mean, parents really need to, everyone, um, you know, even for yourself and for your child, you need to read um, Dr. Gelb's blog because it's just incredible. And I believe you wrote about sleep texting. Yeah, I've been doing a lot with sleep texting now because the line is being blurred with children, with kids, adolescents, high school, college, these kids are falling asleep with their phone in their hands. Mm-hmm. They're, getting, they're getting texts. They're getting bings, pings at 11 at night, 12 at night, 1 at night. And sometimes they're responding even though they're in a twilight or a very light stage of sleep. So kids, even though they're not getting enough sleep, their sleep is being disrupted by all kinds of electronic gadgetry like iPhones and Androids and all these things that they're tethered to their friends. They're in multiple chats, 15 people at once, Facebook messages, um, Twitter. And it's like, how, how, how can anyone keep up with that? Exactly. So it's a, it's a little overwhelming. You know, we, we tell people to look. If we, 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 we give the acronym STOP BANG. Are you snoring? Are you tired? Has anyone observed you stop breathing during your sleep? Do you have elevated blood pressure? Are you gaining weight? Is your BMI up? How old are you? Are you over 50? Um, is your neck greater than 17 inches for a man, 15 inches for a woman? And are you a male or are you a woman that's over uh, in menopause? Just some of the things we look at. Well, well now I want to go into something that I, I just found mind-boggling, um, which is what, what you talk about with sleep disorders sleep apnea, and ADHD, because I've done over 380 interviews, and not once, many of which were from the most world-renowned specialists on ADHD, and in no interview did anyone ever mention, mention sleep disorders. Okay, so, you got um, the first one here. I am so excited. So, you know, tell us how sleep disorders affect ADHD. And, be, you know, and we spoke a little before the interview, you were saying sure. that possibly 75% of um, people yes. with ADHD have yes. this sleep problem. Yes, so I work, with, I work with some very prominent, very bright uh, pediatric sleep specialists, Steve Sheldon, uh, Raphael Paleo, uh, uh, Sanjeev Kathari, David Gazal. And basically what we've seen is that a child needs a lot of sleep to develop properly. And when you're very young, you know infants need the most amount of sleep. And when a child doesn't breathe well, they, they thrash around, their legs thrash around, but when they make noise, they have snoring, mouth breathing, noisy breathing, sleep apnea. It's interfering with the quality of the sleep. So at six months of age, we see it. At 18 months, we see it. Premature kids are born with high, narrow palates, and they can't breathe through their nose, so they can't breastfeed. Kids that are born with low tone, and a lot of kids, a lot of parents listen to this, their children have low tone. 
We have them. They can't swallow. They can't suck. So we talk about suck, swallow, and breathe. It's a vitally important thing for a kid to be getting good uh, breastfeeding, good nutrition. So if you're not sleeping through the night and you have low tone, we're advocating for parents to, first of all, look at allergies. Make sure that your child can breathe through their nose. They can't be a mouth breather. They won't develop normally. They're, you know, they won't develop ideally. Um, work with an ear, a pediatric ENT that specializes in sleep. Get those tonsils and adenoids at least 80%. You don't have to take them completely out because you want to leave some immune tissue. Get your palate expanded early, three and a half or four, and work with a myofunctional therapist. There's a group called the AOMT that we work with, and they're myofunctional therapists that are trained all over the country as well as occupational therapists that work with kids. So we're probably most excited. We believe that up to uh, two-thirds to 75% of kids have ADHD-type symptoms related to sleep disorders, all different types of sleep disorders. And Karen Bonick showed this very well looking at 11,000 kids over six years. And uh, more and more studies are coming out linking behavioral and cognitive problems in kids, neurobehavioral problems and neurocognitive problems to sleep disorders. Uh, I mean, the research is there. And, you know, the sad thing is that many of these children, um, you know, this isn't going to get caught and they're going to be using stimulants and other medications. And, I mean, some children that have other types of ADHD need it. But in this case, this wouldn't solve the problem. They don't. You know what? If you address it, look, we want to prevent this problem. We want to knock ourselves out of business if we can. We believe, we know it's preventable. We believe that snoring and sleep apnea is preventable. And a lot of it has to do with some of the changes that I've talked about. In the last 30 years, it's really since the 1980s, that a lot of this stuff has gotten much, much worse. And people, my group, the American Academy of Physiological Medicine Dentistry, uh, people like us and our board, people are coming together now to try to stem the tide, to try to prevent these chronic diseases from ever occurring. And uh, the research would indicate that if you put a few of these specialists working together, we can do it. Right. You know, as I always tell the parents, it, it's a team. It's a team effort. Um, but it's know, hard to find the, the team, and that's why you're that, here, Marion. I mean, that's we've it. got to try to link up the proper people all across the country because there are good people in every community that know about this, but it's very difficult uh, sometimes to find the right doctors. Right, and you have to find somebody who's open to... Um, you know, understanding that, you know, there, there are links, you know, the endocrinologist has to work with an endocrin, uh, with a neurologist and uh, oral facial, you know, it's just, it's, it's so very hard. But, yeah, but, but with, they work. Uh, it's very hard, but you know what? It's, it's, it, you have to do it. Um, it's so time consuming. It becomes a full, full-time job. But, I mean, look at the benefits. I mean, you could have a child who, um, you know, their oh, ADHD lives. is, it, uh, yeah, I mean, you're just going to give them medications lives. that don't help. Um, so let's talk about how, first of all, your blog is amazing. Um, Thank you. So why don't we start off by you telling us where your centers are, where if they're local, um, they can actually sure. come to you. And then I'd like the um, link to your website. And you also have a, um, a, a new um, nonprofit. Nonprofit. Sure. So my center, I'm in Manhattan at 59th and Madison's, the Gelb Center. And I also have an office up in White Plains, New York. 
And we have really great pods of, of practitioners in Chicago, San Francisco, and we're forming pods across the country. We've done three national conferences. We formed a group called the American Academy of Physiological Medicine and Dentistry, the AAPMD.org. And that's where you'll find a lot of information about children and about resources. And we're also, uh, you know, we will take donations because this is our, basically we're, this is our third year, but this is when we've just formed our nonprofit. So we're trying to spread the word throughout, um, throughout the country and uh, throughout the world, actually, with some of our friends, myofunctional therapists. So I've coined the term airway-centric because I think if you do everything about breathing, um, and we also believe heavily in diet and exercise. If you put diet, exercise, and sleep together uh, and do it in an airway-centric type of way, you're going, to, uh, you're going to be on the right track to health. It's just incredible what you're doing. I'm so happy that you came on. Um, you know, if you find any new developments, please give us a call, and we're going to be putting the word out um, about the work that you're doing, and hopefully... Um, you know, people will respond. They can and find donate. us at the Gelb Center. Yeah, the uh, GelbCenter.com also is another way to find us. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're here to help. We're here to try to prevent uh, problems with kids. That's what we're passionate about: is prevention in children. And I think this paradigm, you're going to see it uh, coming to the forefront. You know, investing in children is probably the best investment you can make. Um, earlier, the better. And uh, it's been a pleasure being with you tonight, Marianne. Thank you very much. Well, I thank you because, you know, so many, there's just, there's an explosion of um, diagnoses for children of all types of disorders. And really what, what parents need to do is find people like you. And that's why I bring people like you on because there are <laughs> other explanations. And, you know, it's just so important. So, again, thank you very much for joining me. I love the interview. Pleasure. Thanks so much. You're welcome. As I end each show, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent. Do your homework. And check us out at The Coffee Quatch, www.thecoffeequatch.com. We'll see you on Sunday with um, Stephanie Weiss, who is doing a special um, show on executive functioning, and it is fantastic, fantastic guest. That's 9 o'clock Sunday night. Thank you very much.